Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling. We missed a week due to unforeseen technical issues, but we're back with the episode we should have done last week, which is Payback 2020, which took place on August 30th, 2020 at the WWE Thunderdome with a attendance of technically zero because they were all automated people, I guess. Not automated, but, you know, people sitting on their laptops watching a show and being very awkward. Uh, I am your host, Tommy Tracy, and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic girlfriend. Mm, I don't know what my name is. No, I'm just kidding. My name's Olivia. (laughs) And uh, we did watch Payback a week later than we should have, but whatever, we're here now, we're discussing it. This actually took place a week after SummerSlam, which is rare for the WWE to do a pay-per-view a week right after another one, but hey, you know, good on them. So, I know, as always, you have a question that you like to ask me when we start, so do you want to go ahead and hit me with it? Yeah, so there's been kind of a theme, particularly entering quarantine time, um, pandemic era of wrestling, where I just noticed, and I don't really know why, like, if the two are even related, but just, like, some very uh, noticeable fashion faux pas so, my question for you is, out of all the wrestling that you've ever watched, okay, in in all of the history that you're aware of, what is the worst either, like, it, it doesn't even have to be specifically ring attire, but, like, I put ring attire, so, like, what is the worst ring attire you've ever seen? The worst ring attire? That I... you could just, like, think of, just off the top of your head. Okay, so I don't know if this counts, but WrestleMania 21, which, not to brag, I attended uh, as a young, sprung 15-year-old in Los Angeles, California, um, we saw this great opening match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. It was fantastic. However, Rey's mask was too big, so every time he did a move or Eddie did a move and, like, Rey would land on the ground, anything, he would just shift his mask. He would, like, put his hand on his face and move his mask because it kept popping out of place every time. Like, every 15 seconds, you would see Rey adjusting his mask. And I don't know if that really counts, but it's, like, something that kind of took me out of that match, and we'll get to it eventually. But it's a match that if that didn't happen, I would have been, like, 5 out of 5, perfect match. But that adjustment just was just like, he's fucking fucking it up. What are you doing, Ray? Like, why didn't you, you're at WrestleMania, you need to be professional here. And he just kept right, messing yeah. with his mask. We'll watch it eventually. And it, I just hate, I hate that. Um, however, like, where's attire? Um, I, I don't know. I'd have to maybe think about that as we're talking and then I can get back to you on it. Because, okay. I mean, there's been some bad ones and there's been some unmemorable ones, but... Um, yeah, let me let me think about it, and then we'll take a break as we're discussing things, and I'll probably come up with something, okay? Okay. Do you have one off the top of your head? Um, To be honest with you, no. I just thought of this question just based on what I saw tonight, but we'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we um, actually didn't watch the pre-show of this match, but the Riot Squad, which is the team of Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan, who were back together, defeated the Iconics, the team of Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. We're not going to give this a grade because we didn't watch it, but um, sure. I mean, I like all four women, so I guess that we should have. happened. Yeah, I guess we should have watched <laughs> it. But uh, So we start with the WWE United States Championship match. Our champion, Apollo Crews, is taking on Bobby Lashley, who is accompanied by his uh, mentor, MVP, and Shelton Benjamin of the Hurt Business. 
This match starts with Apollo coming out and uh, smacks his title very hard, like four or five times, which just, I know Apollo's like a big buff dude, but like that feels like it would hurt your hand. You're hitting a gold plate with your bare hand. That doesn't feel good, but that has nothing to do with the match. Um, Lashley starts out the match, uh, but Cruz take, or sorry, Lashley starts out with some uh, strong offense, but Cruz takes advantage and hits a standing moonsault onto the outside. The Hurt Business, who are at the announce table during this, start to distract Cruz, so Lashley gains control, gets him in a bunch of submission moves. Cruz hits some enziguris and uh, takes the offense back to Lashley, hits him in the corner. Cruz hits a spine buster and another standing moonsault for a two count. Cruz then starts playing to the crowd, which I thought was weird because there's no <laughs> crowd. Lashley then catches Cruz with a running choke slam and gets him for the... <laughs> this move is called a full Nelson but they're calling it the full Lashley, which just made me laugh. And uh, Apollo Crews taps out, and we have a new United States champion in Bobby Lashley. So what do we think? Again, with, like, all of these, like, performers in this match, like, ringside and then, like, within the ring, like, just so unmemorable in, like, every single way possible that... And also, I just felt like... And this was, like, kind of my main complaint of the night, essentially, was that I just felt like everything was just, like, so slow-paced. And, like, it was almost like everybody was, like, trying to wrestle in, like, a tub of sand. Like, it just... And this match, like, I felt like never kind of had that crescendo that most matches tend to have. You know what I mean? Where there's, like, a super, like, high point of the match, and then you start to see, like, the final sequence. Um, And it just didn't happen in this match. Um... I don't know. It's, I, I have to say, like, I feel bad for Apollo Crews because I feel like he kind of carried this whole match mm-hmm. because Lashley just seems so beat. Like, as soon as the bell rang, he was, like, hyperventilating. And I thought, like, the standing moonsault that Apollo Crews did was, like, pretty impressive. But, like, other than that, there was, like, nothing super spectacular. Uh, and I, I guess... I like the fact that Bobby Lashley has, like, MVP and Shelton Benjamin as, at his side just because, like, they're the only components that are giving him, like, any sort of personality. Makes him a lot more interesting. And I just don't understand how he continues to be, like, an essential asset within the company. If, like, you have to constantly assist somebody like that with other people to give them a personality, it's kind of like, I don't know, like... Why even have him as a performer anyways? Because it's like, yeah, sure, like, he's an okay wrestler. But outside of that, like, what else does he have to offer? And mm-hmm. to me, there's, like, really nothing. And I felt like the ending was pretty lame. And so definitely just, like, a... I gave it a 2 out of 5, but I'm just tempted to even say, like, a 1.5 out of 5. I did yes. not, like, I enjoy say, this match high. in the least. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I gave it a 1.5 out of 5, and that's all because of Apollo Crews, who was a very talented performer. Bobby Lashley, he's like, he had talent when he was a lot younger. He's still a very strong and athletic dude. He just has no... Charisma. Yeah, and neither does, neither does Apollo Crews, but he sells you the charisma with his wrestling ability. Yeah. And Bobby Lashley just doesn't have any of that. The thing that makes him interesting, you're right, is MVP and even Shelton Benjamin, who also doesn't have a lot of charisma. Um, but this match was just... It's fine. Like, Bobby Lashley is the new champion, so cool. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I liked Apollo Crews as champ, I guess. But even then, I'm like, sure, put the title on someone better. I don't I don't know. It's all unmemorable. In, yeah, it, in was, it was a pretty unmemorable um, match. And I, I'm thinking, as we saw this, not that, like, 
these guys don't deserve to be on pay-per-view because, again, I think everyone deserves a shot. But I noticed as the night went on, we didn't have AJ Styles, the Intercontinental Champion, didn't have a match. Uh, Jeff Hardy didn't have a match. And Drew McIntyre, the WWE Champion, didn't have a match. So you're missing three pretty big performers there who didn't really have anything going on. Well, and I even put in my notes, I was like, this pay-per-view just seemed like... Just, uh, if you could, like, put, this pay-per-view should be renamed, like, Afterthought. Like, everyone on the roster who's, like, a complete and utter afterthought to Vince McMahon, he was like, ah, I, I guess we'll throw him in some sort of pay-per-view. Let's just <laughs> give it to them, like, the week after SummerSlam or whatever, you know? So, I just, everyone, he was like, I'll, I'll, you'll see in my, like, final thoughts, like, what I think about this more, but just, like, a total afterthought. Every single match, it seemed like. Yeah, I, so. I, I agree, especially with this one. So I can say neither of us liked it. Yeah. yeah. So I Googled as you were first talking, and I was listening, but I also Googled, like, worst wrestling attires just to, like, get get my mind moving. Yeah. And I ran into a few that I, I get. So the first one that popped up was the Shockmaster. And if you've never seen the Shockmaster entrance, please YouTube it and watch it. It is one of the funniest fuck-ups in wrestling history. Um, basically, this dude had a bedazzled stormtrooper helmet that he couldn't see out of, so he fell through a wall and landed on his face. Um, but I'm not going to pick that one. There was also Naked Midian. And do you know this one? No, I don't. Okay, so it was this wrestler named Midian, who was actually pretty decent. Like, no one really remembers him. But what he did was he basically wrestled in a butt-ass naked, but with a fanny pack covering his junk. He had on, like, a skin-colored thong. Right. But it was he was supposed to be naked. Okay. And then I ran into Giant Gonzalez, who wore... He, this guy was seven foot six, and he wore an airbrushed, hairy singlet from head... Or from neck to toe. But yes. that's not the one I'm picking. Because <laughs> I saw this on here, and I absolutely agree. So to answer your question, the worst attire, the worst fashion faux pas, if you will goes to my favorite wrestler of all time, Shawn Michaels, who in 2002, as he returned to the ring to win the World Heavyweight Championship, wore shit brown wrestling tights with (laughs) shit brown cowboy boots and a Dutch boy haircut. And it was horrendous. And I saw the picture and I was like, that's the one. That's it. Don't care what else there is. So (laughs) if you want to know what I'm talking about, just Google Shawn Michaels Survivor Series 2002. Oh boy. So, there we go. Then, what I just said was far more interesting than the opening match that we had. Yes. (laughs) So, we're backstage with Kayla Braxton, I believe. All these women look alike. I'm sorry. They're all just white women with, like, medium-length haircuts. But I think it's Kayla Braxton. And she tries to get a word from Roman Reigns, but is intercepted by his new manager, Paul Heyman. Which I think was a brilliant move to put Paul Heyman with Roman Reigns. And the whole story behind this is there's supposed to be a triple threat match later on for the Universal Championship between Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, and Roman Reigns. But Roman Reigns has yet to sign the contract. So we will get to that in a little bit because that was interesting. Uh, We are then backstage with Keith Lee, who is walked in on by JBL, who starts to offer him an opportunity into a million-dollar hedge fund pyramid scheme, I'm assuming, which was pretty funny because if you know anything about JBL, he's, you know, a millionaire who was, like, you know, worked on Wall Street and that sort of thing. That was his whole gimmick. I thought this was pretty funny and pretty cute because, like, JBL seems like the kind of asshole who's like, million dollars and you can join my hedge fund that's going to take you out of a billion dollars or something like that. So (laughs) did you like this segment at all? I mean, you know, classic JBL wasn't, uh, I think like the whole point of like that whole segment was to quote unquote, like get into like Keith Lee's head. Like JBL was supposed to be some sort of like, I don't know, like sort of messenger for Randy Orton for whatever reason. Um, 
But, I mean, again, it was, like, cute, because it's like, oh, haha, like, nostalgia, throwback, but it's also, like, it, it didn't really amount to anything, so... Isn't JBL kind of a funny character because he went from like it's sh- it's a character that shouldn't have worked, but he went on to be a pretty successful WWE champion. Right. And like you're just like he's a fucking goof. He's an idiot, but like he was so smart and so tactile, and it worked for the 2004 SmackDown era, which was one of my favorite years of wrestling. So yeah. again, beside the point. We'll get that to another time. Our next match pit- pits Big E versus Sheamus. Um, we get a view of Sheamus earlier, kind of doing a promo, and he looks like. Mickey from Snatch, which is a great movie, um, which is Brad Pitt's character in Snatch. Have you ever seen that movie, babe? I've not. I'll have to show you that. It's a. But I have thoughts on what he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't wrestle in that at all. No. He just wrestles in his normal tights, which I thought was funny. <laughs> what are your thoughts on what he's wearing? I, I liked it. Okay, listen. He looked like an I Irish brother. made a note. I was like, what the fuck is he wearing? So he's wearing... Like, what is that? Okay, so let me, let me bring this down for you. So he's wearing, like, this... Russian mobster, like, really, like, I don't know, like, essential everyday, like, great value version of, like, what I thought, like, Brad Pitt's character dressed, like, in Fight Club, um, with, like, this, like, wife beater underneath, like, this leather jacket, this, like, taupe leather jacket with a fur, like, a shit brown fur trim, and then he's, like, wearing, like, this, like, weird, like, leather... It's I, I wouldn't describe it as a fedora, but it's like if you were to like wasn't it a smash a fedora like a trillion times with your foot onto the ground, like just repeatedly curb stomping a fedora until it looked like shit. Like that's what this looked like. And on top of that, it was a leather fedora that was also a topish color, but like didn't match. That's Brad Pitt and Snatch. I'm okay, showing her a yes, picture right okay, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty accurate. But, like, it, it just did, it doesn't, I don't know what he was trying to go for, but I would much rather take the, like, s- slicked up, like, fucking Mohawk? Nickelback version oh. of Seamus over whatever the fuck this is. Oh, see, I like it. <laughs> I, I, I fucking like it. hate it. He's got the mutton chops, too, and it's, like, really thick. I think it looks awesome. But, hey, I love the differing opinions we have on oh, it, because I think man. he looks... If it was, like, someone I saw in real life, I'd be, like, this fucking idiot. But in the world of wrestling, like, the cartoon world of wrestling, I'm, like, that fucking makes sense. The hat, though. Like, why the hat? Because it's funny. No, it's not. Because it's, like, hilarious. You're just, like, why is this Why is this badass? Because Seamus is a total, like, brawler badass. Like, he would beat my ass in a second. Why is he dressing like an asshole? Because he can. And that's kind of what makes it funny. He looks like an Irish drunk at any Irish pub that you would ever see. And I think that's what makes it so funny. He's like riffing on his own heritage in some weird way. I mean, I guess yeah. he looks like any like old, like 45 year old man who has nothing better to do, but like stand outside of a liquor store and like sell alcohol, like underage kids. Isn't that kind of what Seamus is rocking right now? Like he had that bar <laughs> brawl with Jeff Hardy. And <laughs> so anyway, we're getting way off topic. So this match is between Biggie and Seamus. Um, the whole match starts because Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods, who are Biggie's tag team partners, are both injured. And Sheamus has started this whole thing with, like, you'll never amount to anything by yourself because you've had a title reign that was forgettable, except for your tag team title reigns, which probably hit home pretty well on Biggie, and he wants to kind of defend his honor. I noticed when Biggie came out, he was rocking an All That logo on his attire, and then his singlet kind of looked like Rocco's Modern Lifestyle, so that was pretty cool. Uh, this is what I would call a big hoss match. So it's like two big muscular men who are just going to go and beat the shit out of each other. Um, Seamus starts the match by outsmarting Biggie and hits him with the uh, big like open arm clubs to the chest. 
He then begins to work over Big E's left leg with slams and a takedown. Uh, e attempts to come back, but is caught with the Irish Curse Backbreaker. Sheamus goes up top for a double axe handle, but is caught with a belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. E goes for his outside spear, but is caught with a knee, and then is then trapped into a Cloverfield, or sorry, a Cloverleaf, Cloverfield's the movie, um, but uh, makes it to the ropes before he taps out. Sheamus is thrown over those ropes, and then is hit with that said spear that I mentioned earlier by Big E. Sheamus connects with another knee for a two-count. He goes for his finisher, the Brogue Kick, but is caught with a powerbomb, and Big E's finisher, the big ending, for the three-count. The winner of the match is Big E. So what do we think? Um, this was, like, yet another match that, like, didn't get me very excited. I just, I don't know, I, like, hate pay-per-views like this, especially ones that are, like, really close together. Like, most of the time, there's, like, a minimum of, like, two weeks between pay-per-views, but this one was only, like, a week. And I just, I don't know, I feel like when you have pay-per-views kind of back-to-back like that, like, there are certain performers that are just, like, kind of bound to phone it in at least one pay-per-view. And so I just feel like this, again, this match was kind of, again, these two competitors just, like, kind of phoning it in. Um, again, like, now it's Sheamus is the one that seems like he was, like, dead, like, fucking winded. From the get-go, like, was very sluggish, didn't get, there wasn't a lot of momentum in this match, uh, and you could see that by there being a lot of holds, and I feel like there's a really clever way to, like, work in submissions and stuff like that into a match to make it really exciting and riveting. Like Kurt Angle would do. Yes, and then there's, like, a way where it just seems like it's lazy, Mm -hmm. and this match seemed very lazy, and... I mean, I'm excited that Biggie got the dub, but, like, it wasn't in a very exciting way. Like, neither of these performers, like, showcased what they're capable of by, in, in any manner, really. So, again, like, I don't know, two out of five, it was really boring. And I just, like, I don't know, it's almost like the piped-in crowd noises make it worse. Okay, so Because then I'm, like, I'm not excited by that. And it just, like, by them, like, cheering and, like, making it sound, like, really exciting, I'm like, this makes it even less exciting. Yeah, okay, I fucking so hate this. this was my question to you. Do, do you also hate the piped-in crowd noise? And because I think they do it. So when there's a real wrestling crowd, obviously, like, crowds are different. You're going to yeah. cheer for who you want to cheer for. So yeah. even some people will boo Big E, even though he's the good guy in this scenario. But, like, the piped-in crowd sounds like the video game where it's just like, you're a face, so yay! Yeah. Do you kind of hate that as much as I do? I do, just because I feel like it's very, um, I don't know, the only way I can describe it is very, like, Black Mirror-type vibes where, like, they're almost trying to convince me to think a certain way or, like, to cheer Mm. certain people on or to, like, feel a certain way about a match. Mm -hmm. And I find myself, like having to really fight that like feeling of being like you know because like in normal circumstances like when you're watching a pay-per-view that actually has a live crowd like when people like get really excited I kind of have like my brain does this thing where I'm like oh like even though like I didn't think that that match was like that fantastic I mean they all seem like pretty jazzed about it you know so and and there's kind of that relationship between like the performers and the crowd where like when you actually have a live crowd like then those performers then can get like really hyped up and, like, actually get really into the match, which mm-hmm. you don't see in this, you know, pandemic era. Uh, Through no fault of their own, obviously. Right, yeah, no but... fault of their own. But it just seems like with the piped-in crowd noises that I just find myself having to fight that, like, same kind of intuition of being, like, oh, like, no, the, I have to 
definitively say, no, this was like a pretty like boring match, pretty bad match. And it, it, the piped in crowd noises almost make it worse because then it just irritates me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like there should be no cheering for this. This was garbage. Like, how dare you? Right. No, I agree. And this, I mean, I thought this match was solid enough. I mean, they're two good workers. I gave it a 2.5. It didn't excite me, but it didn't bore me, I guess. It was short enough to where I was like, oh, that match was fine. And so that was really my only notes on it. I was like, that was a fine match. They did their job. You're not going to get, like, a wrestling clinic out of either of these guys. Except unless they're in, like, a tag match. Then they're both, like, amazing. But when they're by themselves, they're just fine. Yeah. They're okay. Yeah. Um, So we get backstage with a new broadcaster named... Elise Ashton, I believe was her name. It like flashed on the screen real quick. Who starts to interview Matt Riddle about his upcoming match with Baron Corbin. He's the original bro, so he's like super chill. He's like, bro, like, you know, Baron Corbin doesn't want none of this because I'm like cool and all. And then Corb- uh, she mentioned something that Corbin said where he's a failure as a wrestler. And then as a husband, which is really low to bring into a storyline because it's like his infidelity was brought out just like literally a month ago and he did not look happy about it. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's a chill enough dude to be like, yo, just put it in there. But like, that's really fucked up. So, I mean, he definitely cheated on his wife a couple years ago, but whatever. That's not our business to talk about. We then move on to the aforementioned match, Baron Corbin versus Matt Riddle. As soon as Riddle uh, makes his entrance, what he does is he jumps over the ropes and kicks off his sandals that he wears, which is fucking hilarious. Um, Corbin blasts him with a clothesline. Corbin begins to hit Riddle with a lot of slams, um, but each time Riddle starts to bounce back with submission holds. Riddle then begins to go for some offense, but then is caught in submission holds by Corbin, so it was a nice little juxtaposition there. Riddle catches Corbin with a kick and then a Pele kick, um, a Broton bomb, and a running knee for the two count. Riddle gets caught in a very beautiful deep six by Corbin for a two count as well. Riddle locks in the triangle choke, but it's broken up. He then hits a finisher called the bro to sleep and a floating bro off the top ropes for the three count. After the match, we get this stupid commercial for WWE Battlegrounds. Riddle is then seen backstage about to get interviewed again, but is attacked by Corbin. That's not really part of the match, but I didn't know where else to enter it in. So what do you think of this one? Um, this one was definitely a lot more solid than the previous two matches. Uh, my, kind of my only notes were just that, like, I, I guess I love wrestlers like Matt Riddle just because they're so light and quick on their feet. Um, however, like, make submission holds, like, look really impressive and not sluggish in the slightest. So literally just, like, the almost the exact opposite of the previous two matches. Um, I mean, I like, I liked the storytelling. I mean, even though it was kind of a low blow, I liked the storytelling, um, just because, you know, Corbin tries to get the best of Riddle at the beginning, um, but then ends up giving, uh, Matt Riddle the upper hand by getting gassed out too quickly. Um, I love the fact that Matt Riddle just, like, kicks the shit out of everyone, because that is, like, so hard to, I don't know, I feel like in wrestling there's a certain level of, like, how hard, I guess, you would hit somebody. Because mm-hmm. um, you're not just going to, like, straight up just fucking, you know, hit them full force, you know, with your fists or whatnot. But, like, with kicks, I feel like that's really hard to control. So it's one of those things where it's, like, more real than, I guess, like, other other moves in wrestling. So I just, I don't know. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. For, for those of you who don't know, so, like, a lot of people who use really quick kids, kicks have a lot of padding in their boots to where, like, they can kick them hard enough to yeah. where you're not going to hurt them yeah. too bad. 
Um, but Matt Riddle doesn't wear shoes or knee pads at all. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just, kicking the yeah. shit out of you with his <laughs> bare legs. Shin, yeah. Bare feet. Um, but I, I don't know. I love Matt Riddle. I was excited that he got the dub. Um, again, this match is like very solid. Three out of five. Significantly better than the last two matches. No. Uh, I, I did make a note that I was like, if I were watching this just leisurely and not for like also like to, you know, talk about it and record a podcast, this would probably be the match that would keep me watching. Um, cause I did think a lot about like after watching the first two matches, I was like, God, like if I was just like watching this just at home, just, you know, by myself or whatever, like I probably would have shut it off by now. Um, but of course, like this is like kind of the match, which is kind of important cause it's like, you know, the third match of the night. So just like definitely in the midst of it. Um, you know, keeps you watching and keeps you in and mm-hmm. um, kind of makes it worth watching. Yeah. I like this match a lot too. Um, I gave it a three out of five as well. I think it was a little short and that's kind of its biggest downfall. Yeah. But I loved kind of every time Baron Corbin would go for a slam and he would immediately get caught in a submission by Matt Riddle, which is like, because Corbin's a striker and like sort of like a powerhouse kind of yeah. guy. So they were mixing their styles really well and they worked really well together. Baron Corbin is a great heel. He's a pretty damn good wrestler. Like, people give him a he lot really of shit. He really is. Yeah. I feel like he's really come out within, like, the last, like, few years yeah. to, like, really kind of demonstrate, like, how good he I, really I'd is. I'd say since, like, WrestleMania 35 last year, he has been just, like, yeah. pretty damn, like, consistent all yeah. the way through. His deep six is awesome. Oh, I love um, deep six. And I just love all the shit that Riddle does. Like, the Broton bomb and the bro to sleep, <laughs> which, like, the move's called a senton bomb and a go to sleep. So yeah. he puts bro in him, and that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I really liked I really liked this match. I thought it was up until now the best one, but we'll get to my best match of the night a little later. Um, yeah, I love Matt Riddle as well, and I'm gonna eat crow here. Is that the saying? Eat crow. I used to not like Matt Riddle a lot. I used to think he was a fucking idiot, and he really grew on me. So good. Yeah, I'm a big big fan. Good. So we then move on to the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match. We have the Golden Role Models consisting of Bailey and Sasha Banks, who are the champions taking on the makeshift team of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Now, um, do you just want to kind of get it out of the way how you feel about Nia Jax? Right oh that? my god, yes. Dude, oh, just shut shut the fuck up. Shut up. I just, uh, like, her existence is just... <sighs> Never mind Listen, that Nia Jax can both eat us like, like, like a fucking steak dinner, but... I understand her place in the company. I understand... That in this day and age, it's like I guess really important to have representation of like not only like men and women, but also like women of different backgrounds. So it's not like a whole roster of like blonde bimbos with fake tits. And I understand that, but like there you have to get to a certain level where like no amount of somebody's like history, family or like representation takes like none of that like makes up for the fact that she's just not a good wrestler like not a good wrestler not good on the bike and is also just like i mean part of this might be because of the way that she was presented on total divas but based on from what i understand the way that people interact with her is she's not a nice person and she's not a good person Mm -hmm. so i just really kind of don't understand again like her place within, within the company because it almost is like they're using her like for like what she is rather than for who she is right because she's not a good wrestler not good like not a good performer and just like not a good person so i just i i hate her i hate her and any storyline that she's been in has not progressed her or any of her counterparts Mm -hmm. like anybody that she's been in a feud with 
if anything, it I felt like it dragged people down and like bogged people down. Like that whole feud that she had with Alexa Bliss like a year or so ago, like didn't do anything to advance her or Alexa Bliss's career. So I just hate the fact that I don't know. She's I just I just don't see the point. I don't see the point. Gotcha. Well, we'll get to the match now. <laughs> um, this match was thrown together because, you know, we talked about two weeks ago, Sasha Banks lost the Raw Women's Championship, but her and Bayley were still tag team champions, and we're kind of seeing the cracks in their relationship. So I mentioned last week, they don't have opponents, but they have the titles on the line of payback, and they just threw Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax together. Um, I like Shayna Baszler a lot. She's a fucking badass and like MMA fighter who will kick the shit out of anybody and is a much better wrestler slash fighter than Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I fucking said it. So that's beside the point. Again, I'm going off topic. Um, but this match starts with uh, Baszler throwing Sasha around like a ragdoll, which was hilarious because Sasha Banks is like 14 pounds soaking wet. Um, the Golden Roll models start to distract Jax and then they push Shayna into her, knocking her onto the floor and hurting her knee in kayfabe. Again, for those of you who don't know, kayfabe is like the language of wrestling. Um, the heels then beat up on Shayna until Jax uh, gets a hold of Sasha and power bombs her into the barricade outside four times. Jax then gets tagged in on a hot tag, I guess. Normally a hot tag, the crowd goes ballistic, but I think the crowd went pretty mild on this one. Uh, she begins to really take it to Bailey with uh, fists and kicks. Uh, the heels begin to work over Jax's surgically repaired knee until she tags in Shayna with a real hot tag, who begins to just whoop ass. Um, we get a double bo- uh, double back body drop from the champs onto Nia, which was pretty impressive because Nia's a big gal. And to be able to get lifted and then flip in the air, got to give her credit for that. Um, Shayna then traps... This is the ending of this match, so bear with me as I read this. Shayna traps Sasha in the Muda lock, which is a leg lock, at the same time trapping Bailey in the Kirafuda clutch, which is a neck lock, so she's got two women trapped in submission moves, then falls to the ground, and then grabs Sasha's arm and traps it around Bailey's neck, so she has three submission holds at this point, and makes Bailey tap out, and we get new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions and Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. So what do we think? So since Okay, so at first I just have to say that, like, my first note was, like, oh, haha, like, Sasha and Bailey kind of just seem like the obvious winners because they're the cohesive tag team, which we start to see, you know, when we start to see, like, the rips and the seams of, like, that cohesiveness. Um, but they're just, like, the obvious winners because, like, previously we see, like, this, like, inherent, like, tension backstage between, like, Shayna and Naya. kind of forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> However, um, I mean, I think Shayna did fantastic in this match, and I'm kind of upset just because I feel like the commentators don't give her not only just, like, too little of credit, just no credit whatsoever. Right. And she's a like, face out of nowhere, which is kind of weird. That doesn't make sense, <laughs> but, but that's beside the point. What I am trying to get at is the fact that, like, even Corey Graves, like, drives home the point that, like, oh, she hasn't, like, been able to, like, gain any, like, actual footing within, like, you know, being on Raw and, like, I just, I don't know, kind of going on about how, like, she, like, hasn't, you know, really gotten a grasp within, like, the quote-unquote, like, main roster. And it's kind of annoys me just because I feel as though the female roster on NXT is, like, way more competitive and, like, way more cutthroat mm-hmm. than, like, like, I guess the quote-unquote main roster on, like, both Raw and SmackDown. Like, the competition is just, like, has, like, a lot higher stakes. Mm-hmm. And they're a lot more, I don't know, they're just better wrestlers. And so the fact that, like, Shayna was able to dominate NXT and then come to, like, you know, the main roster, I guess, 
And the the fact that Corey Grace has the fucking gall to say, oh, she hasn't, like, found her footing yet. And she then literally carries this entire match. And then, like, gets the dub for them. Like, I just, uh, I fucking hate it. Like, because why would you, why would you, I don't know. I guess, I guess I see the whole point because, like, Corey Graves is supposed to be that kind of, like, heel, you know, commentary. But I just, I don't know. I just. He's just a douchebag in real life. But that's yeah, it just point. doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't do anything to benefit her or anybody to, I guess, kind of set her up that way. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, people who, I guess, I don't know who wouldn't watch NXT at this point. But I guess people who aren't super familiar with her career in NXT are gonna be like oh well I guess she's like not that impressive and I guess it just like annoys me because I see such opportunity with Shayna Baszler like she could literally be like what Vince wanted Ronda Rousey to be Mm -hmm. and like could have like so many amazing storylines and like one that I even wrote down was like her and Sonya Deville could like literally have this like amazing feud together and it it would be it would be pretty fucking epic because not only would Shayna then become that dominating presence on the main roster in the same way that she was in NXT, but then could also, like, give Sonya Deville some, like, serious, like, legitimacy. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'm, like, sweaty ranting about this. But overall, Shayna was awesome. I love her. She's a badass. Um, I'm kind of glad that Nia wasn't involved in this match because, again, I feel like she kind of just, like, bogs down, like, any match that she's in and anybody that she competes against or competes with. Um, so I'm kind of glad that she was, like, so uninvolved with this match. I, I was very pleased by that. So 3.5 out of 5. I was very surprised by the ending. And I'm really surprised that Bailey was the one who had tapped. Because, like, she in that whole tag team between her and Sasha. Like, Sasha was the one who kept losing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Sasha kind of seems like, I guess, like, the little bitch almost. Right. But um, I thought that, like, the triple submission hold was fucking epic. Yeah, that's oh my really God, I creative. I love that. So creative. Especially for the women's roster, I just thought, like, wow, like, that, like, that was, like, one of the one matches that, like, really wowed me, and I liked it. Okay, so, I'm gonna surprise you by saying that since the last match, the Matt Riddle-Baron Corbin match, this pay-per-view went on an uptick that didn't stop until the main event, but we'll get there. Uh, I gave this match a 4.5 out of 5, and here's why, because between Shayna... Bailey and Sasha, they were all just on fire. And again, they only got like 10 minutes, but they made their most out of their 10 oh, minutes. Yeah. And as much as I don't really like Nia Jax in the ring, when she was there, she was doing the powerhouse stuff. That back body drop she took was pretty impressive because, again, she's a big girl. To get in the air and then flip in midair is not easy to do. And I just loved that finish. It's something I've never seen before that you make a woman tap out from her tag team partner making her tap out was just. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then the post-match interview with them and Charlie Caruso where, like, the belt was, like, the size of Nia's hand. <laughs> and then she's like, I won the title with my best friend. And then Shayna goes, whoa, we're not best friends. was, like, really funny and, like, kind of candid with them. And then you see Bailey and Sasha just, like, glaring at each other on the outside. I really love the story that this was telling because Shayna and Nia do not like each other. Yeah. And Bailey and Sasha are starting to not like each other. And this creates this whole rift of this women's tag team thing. So, yeah, I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. The only thing that i wish didn't happen was just like nia's a champion now which is like fine but you know it was a means to an end yeah so yeah. <laughs> we then get the keith lee versus randy orton match so keith lee made his debut on raw on the monday after SummerSlam, and he is friends with drew mcintyre which no one knew about they're like that's my friend like okay um which is fine and 
so since this episode is or since this pay-per-view is called payback keith lee is getting payback on randy orton for kicking drew mcintyre in the face four times okay that at least made sense so sure sort of. so we get keith lee's first quotation mark main roster pay-per-view match against a legend in my book someone like you're gonna make a star out of this dude if you have him face him so lee comes out looking strong actually let me backtrack they changed his music and it's fucking terrible it's just like this generic rock song instead of this like badass like hip-hop song that he had before and on raw he was wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt luckily they put him back in his short trunks but he's still wearing a t-shirt and i'm starting to think it's because vince is like oh he's fat so put him in a t-shirt which is really unfortunate because one you're body shaming the man and two for a dude who is as big as he is he moves like someone who weighs 200 pounds less yeah so i don't know what the fuck you're trying to say beside the point Lee comes out looking very strong. He starts hitting Orton with a shoulder block and absorbing three of Orton's best chops, which I thought made Randy Orton's hand bleed because the way his hand looked, it looked red. Uh, The rookie then gets a little cocky and misses a corner shoulder. Orton backdrops him onto the announce table on the outside. Lee takes advantage again, hits Orton with a pounce, and then backdrops Orton on that same announce table outside. Lee tries to get back in the ring, but Orton takes advantage with a middle rope DDT. Orton stocks Lee, tries to go for an RKO, but the attempt is turned into a spirit bomb, and we get a surprise three count, and Keith Lee is the winner of this match, and I looked up the time, and this match lasted six minutes and 40 seconds, but babe, before I get to it, I want to know what you think. Um, it, I I don't know, I mean, hmm. I thought I was expecting a lot more out of this match. Let me say that. This was one of those classic, like, Randy Orton makes the newbie his bitch in the ring, you know, but then, like, I guess it's supposed to, in the end, like, make them look really good uh, type of match. Um, I don't know. I guess the most disappointing part about this match was that, again, I know what both performers are capable of. And, you know what I mean? Like, Randy is that, like very conniving like he's a slithery snake yeah and then like keith lee although he's like a huge dude is like super quick on his feet can is so beyond athletic Mm -hmm. and so i just i don't know i was kind of like surprised because like none of that was showcased whatsoever and the match was like so incredibly short and i guess i don't know the 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 premise behind the match like kind of didn't make sense and so there's not going to be anything, any sort of storyline beyond this, like, singular match. But, huh, I just sigh. That's my reaction to this match. It's just a one big, long sigh. And you're great. Uh, you know, okay, so I gave it a 2.5 out of 5, but I'm thinking it's more of, like, a wow. 2 out of 5. Wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. We're going to fight. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. Whoa. And here's why. <laughs> because... The wrestling might not have been... Well, I mean, the wrestling was still very good for as short as it was, but it wasn't the greatest. But here's why I like this so much. Because it did exactly what you said. It made Keith Lee a star right off the bat by having him beat one of the greatest of all time. It had Orton look really strong because he was smarter than Lee until the last minute. And it furthered Orton's kind of descent into this madness that he's going to do to get his hands on the WWE Championship. And you don't really need to have Keith Lee in that anymore. He got his win... 
Orton's going to go for the title again, and Lee came out looking awesome. And then that win was like, oh, shit, that, that's the end of the match? Awesome. Like, he caught Randy Orton in a way that most people can't beat Randy Orton in, and he got the surprise three. And I really liked... If this match would have went any, like, longer, I think it would have probably been a little less. But the, it was the right amount. Like, a seven-minute match, essentially, got me hooked right away. And you heard me when he got the three count. I was like, holy shit, what? <laughs> like, I thought it was an accident. I loved this match, and I'm tying it with the last one because of kind of all those factors. All right. So, yeah. big okay. A big fan of this one. And it didn't hurt that Keith Lee was wearing trunks again. So that made me happy. We're moving on to our semi-main event, the Dominic, the Dominic, the Mysterio <laughs> family. You know what? No. It's Rey Mysterio and Dominic Guerrero <laughs> which, versus Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy. Again, we're going into the playback or the payback motif, so it makes sense a little bit. We've kind of covered this feud since the beginning of our podcast. You know, Rey got his eye popped out and then Dominic wanted to get revenge on Seth Rollins. So again, it made sense for the pay-per-view. Um... So Dominic starts to take quick offense on both Rollins and Murphy. Uh, Ray gets tagged in. Um, we get some sweet father and son tag team offense. Uh, Rollins tags back in, and Ray Ray starts to light him up with some old school lucha libre offense. Offense. Uh, Ray begins to get beat down by the heels, as happens in tag team matches. Uh, Dominic receives the hot tag, but is caught almost immediately with Seth Rollins' Falcon Arrow. Uh, Dom is beat down by the heels until he is thrown outside. Murphy gets launched into the barricade, and then Rollins misses an axe handle on the outside. Dom then tags in his father. Um, Rollins dodges a 619, but Mysterio catches him with a rolling kick, and the pin is broken up at the last second by Murphy. Dominic then plants Murphy with a tornado DDT, but is hit immediately with a sling bait from Seth. As Ray gets up, he is uh, kicked with some knees and then gets super kick number 20 from Seth Rollins. This is the only super kick on the show, by the way. The last two shows have been lacking, and I'm really annoyed. Um, Rollins then tags in Murphy and demands that he kicks Ray in the head. As Murphy goes for it, Ray counters and throws Seth into the kick, um, into Murphy's kick. Ray then tags in Dom, and he hits Murphy with a 619 and then hits his father, Eddie Guerrero's finisher, the Frog Splash, for the three count. And Rey Mysterio and Dominic Guerrero win the match. Dominic's first win yeah. ever. So, and it only a second match. It's 50-50. Yes. So, what do we think? I, 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 I really like this match. Um, again, I just love the fact that Dominic is showing off, like, his, like, high-flying skills, much like his dad. And I think it's just so funny and kind of surprising to watch just because it's so bizarre seeing moves that you've seen I don't know, like a really, really short, tiny man do for so long, and then to see his like really tall and lanky son like mm -hmm. do the same moves with the same sort of finesse to them, yeah. it's just um, absolutely amazing. Um, of course, Team Mysterio takes the underdog route, but that's of course the status quo for Rey Mysterio's career, so I'm not surprised by that. Everyone loves cheering for the underdog, especially when it comes to Rey Mysterio. Um, Dominic has done so well entering the WWE. He's impressive. And I just feel like, you know, sometimes handcrafting dynasty performers like that just works out really well. And in Dominic's case, it so does. Like, yeah. he's had such good mentorship and just the, I guess the way that he has been presented, um onto WWE has just been absolutely seamless and fantastic and doesn't feel awkward or forced in the slightest, which I love. Right. Um, 
of course, like, again, just kind of a specific note, Dominic hits this DDT on Buddy Murphy that I was like, holy shit, like, that's really impressive. Yeah, and he hit it just like his dad did. And for being such a quote-unquote novice wrestler, it just, it again, so seamless. Yeah. And, of course, I thought it was, you know, a very clever ending. Uh, and, of course, you know, then Dominic hits the frog splash for the dub. So, final rating... Uh, four out of five. It was really pretty good match, and I love the push they've been giving Dominic. Yeah. Um, I think that this is a really good way to present somebody who obviously has a very deep history mm-hmm. in WWE, being from a wrestling family, um, and I think that they've taken really good care of how he is going to be presented from here on out, right. and I think that because he is an actually good wrestler, um, that this will definitely work out in his favor, for sure. I agree. Um, it's They're not pushing him to the moon right away. They're keeping right. him in that mid-card, and they're putting him with Seth Rollins, who is a fantastic wrestler, his dad, who is obviously a legend and knows how to carry a match, and then Buddy Murphy, who's also very reliable, very good wrestler. So you're, you're putting him around all these people that are going to take care of him and make him look good. Yes. I definitely think he needs a little more seasoning. Like, once he starts to venture out, he's going to need, you know, a little more. But right now, he is doing a great job. I think putting him with Seth Rollins was the smartest freaking move to do because you put him with a dude who's going to take care of him and make him look great. It's like putting Keith Lee with Randy Orton. He made him look great. Exactly. I also gave it a 4 out of 5. I thought the match was very fun. Um, I was a little turned off by, like, Ray's later offense in the match. I mean, he started out really well, but he's older. He's in his mid-40s. He's not nearly as good as he used to be, but still pretty damn good for a guy who's as old as he is. Um, He's, like, lost a step, but when you move 100 miles an hour and then you're only moving 90, you're still moving pretty damn fast. Exactly. Um, I Googled it while you were talking. Dominic is 6'2". His dad is 5'6". So that is a large height difference. So. For sure. <laughs> and Eddie Guerrero, as much as I joke, is not really Dominic's dad. He was only five foot eight. So trying to you said what the regressive gene is what makes him Recessive. Recessive. Yeah. I'm stupid. I don't know science. Um <laughs> did I give my grade? I gave it a four out of five as well. So this was a very fun match. It was cool to see the Mysterios get the win. And like I said, he's three weeks or two weeks at this point, actually one week into his wrestling career. Mm-hmm. And he's you know, fifty fifty, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. And now we move on to our main event. Bear with me. The no-holds-barred triple threat match for the WWE Universal Championship match. Pitting the Fiend Bray Wyatt, the champion, versus Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns with his new manager, Paul Heyman. So as we said at SummerSlam, Roman Roman Reigns made a surprise return. He then inducted Paul Heyman as his manager, which is just, I think, such a brilliant move. But like I said, Braun and Bray signed the contracts for the match. Roman didn't. And we'll get kind of why into that's a little gray area at the end of the match. But the match starts, and it's only Braun and Bray in the ring. Well, just Bray, because Bray makes his entrance, and then he's attacked immediately by Braun. Uh, He goes for the pin almost right away, gets a two count. But, you know, the Fiend character is like, that doesn't hurt because I'm the Fiend. Um, And Bray gets control, sends Strowman through the table on the outside with the Uranagi. Bray then grabs his little crooked mallet, but it's cut off by Braun, and he is slammed onto the steps. Bray recovers, grabs his mallet again, hitting Strowman in the heart with it, and then this is when we cut backstage to Alexa Bliss, who is back in her old Harley Quinn look, um, watching Bray. 
they fight on the uh, on the stage outside. Um, this is when Michael Cole mentions for about the fourth time that it's a no-holds-barred match, just in case you forgot with the other three times he mentioned it. Uh, Braun counters a Sister Abigail attempt with a shoulder block, and they both get thrown off the stage. Braun goes to the top rope as they get back in, and we get a superplex from Bray that breaks the ring, which was the coolest thing in the world in 2003 when Brock Lesnar and The Big Show did it. We've seen it, like, what, four times in the past three years? Like, it's not really impressive anymore. Um, And again, I mentioned this happened for the first time in 2003, so that was a long fucking time ago. Uh, At this point, both men are down, and... Roman Reigns' music's hit, music hits as he saunters down to the ring with Paul Heyman, grabs the contract, and signs it. He is now officially in the match. Uh, Roman tries to pin Bray, but he kicks out. He does the same to Strowman, who also kicks out. Roman gets the chair and bashes both men with it. He tries to pin Braun again, but gets another two count. Bray pops up, locks in the mandible claw, but Roman kicks him right in the dick and sends him to the outside. Roman, that's hit, Roman then hits Strowman with a spear, and wins the Universal Championship. And the gray area I mentioned was, can you really sign a contract mid-match? It's WWE rules. They kind of make it up. But um, <laughs> what do you think of this one? Okay. Literally, what the fuck is the difference between a no-holds-barred street fight and no DQ match. Like, literally almost zero difference. Like, I would love for somebody from WWE to, like, sit me down and, like, show me the differences between, like, each stipulation. Don't because forget Extreme all... Rules. Oh, yeah, and Extreme Rules. They all seem <laughs> the fucking same. See, that's what I mean. Like, they just all are all the same, but have different names for whatever reason. I just, I don't know. I feel like at this point, like, stimu- stipulation matches have kind of lost all meaning. Um, particularly when they hardly, I guess, quote-unquote, take advantage of the actual stipulation itself. Of course, we see, like, you know, some work with, like, you know, throwing each other into the steps, um, you know, attempting to use that, like, hammer-type thing. The mallet to the heart was kind of cool. The mallet, okay, the mallet, (laughs) yeah. But then, like, Roman Reigns coming in at the end of the chair, and, you know, there's hardly, like, I don't know, I just... Stipula- I feel like stipulation matches are supposed to be those outlier type matches that are very spectacular, kind of wow you, kind of shock you. But again, this just seems like the same fucking match with that involves- That we got last week. Yes, uh, exactly. Thank you. Braun yes, and Bray, exactly. Yeah. And what did I say at the beginning of, of this uh, recording? That when you have pay-per-views that are this close together, at least a one of them, like somebody who has performed at both is going to phone it in mm-hmm. and- Unfortunately for Braun and The Fiend, like, they both just phoned it in, and it seemed like the same fucking match. I'm going to interrupt you for one second, though. I, I think this match was better than last, like, the SummerSlam match they had, but not by a lot. So we'll get, I'll get to that when we get to the grade, but I actually think this one was better for the most part. I just, I don't know, I kind of LOL'd at the whole, like, Roman Reigns entering at the end, because I'm just like, what, why, what, what... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I also was like, can you actually sign a contract like mid fucking match? Like, wouldn't you think that like the expiration date would be like right before the bell rings, right? Like, getting in the match. I but, knew the whatever. results of this. Apparently, you didn't look did at them, not. so your reaction was really <laughs> candid and hilarious. Uh, it gave me a good laugh. I wasn't. I I will go on the record to say I wasn't sports entertained. Um, not by Roman coming out. No, you, I uh, thought it was funny. Not sports entertaining. 
But, of course, that I just kind of had a distaste for the ring breaking because I'm like, really? Like, ooh, like, never seen that before. Right. Like, wow. I think Braun has done it twice at this point. Yeah. Once with yeah. the big show and once with Brock Lesnar, right? <laughs> so, my final rating is a 2 out of 5. And I quite literally say, LOL, what is this? I also gave it a 2 out of 5. However, I gave the ending to the match a five out of five <laughs> because that is just the, the kind of bullshit chicanery you could oh, only yeah. get away in wrestling it's yeah. the only the dumbest shit where you're like it makes sense at wrestling somehow roman coming out in the last minute of the match to win makes a hundred percent sense and i loved that because this is something that i've been wanting roman reigns to do for the past five years since he's been shoved down all our throats and now he's finally fucking doing it, and it's great. And I'm kind of digging heel Roman Reigns right now. So, yeah, the ending of this match was a five. The rest of it, not so much. And that completes the Matt Payback 2020 card. But I've got to ask you, as always, what was your match of the night? Um, match of the night. Not that there was anything that was super spectacular. Um, you gave a couple of fours. But I guess I, mean, I gotta. I guess I gotta give it to the ladies. Um, women's tag team. Women's match? tag match. Yeah, I thought that the ending was extremely clever. Something that I have personally never seen before. I thought it was really inventive. I thought that Shayna, despite the really annoying commentary, like proved like, once again that she's a total and complete badass. Mm-hmm. I love the storyline between that's going on between uh, Bailey and Sasha. That's just super entertaining. I think they're great performers. And then and, I was there. And yeah, and then she was also there, but that's beside the point. Um, performer of the night has to again go to Dominic. Give I think that Dominic. he is doing fan- a fantastic job. I think that he is not wasting his opportunity in the slightest. And it's it's so nice in this day and age where you see Vince ruin so many wrestlers to finally see him like giving at least one out of many like an actual like fighting chance it's a little bit of nepotism though don't you think a little bit i mean he does the same with charlotte yeah she's a very good wrestler but come on she's rick flair's daughter i mean i would even argue that i I don't think that while ray mysterio is a legend don't get me wrong i feel like there were probably a lot more favors gone on back and forth between True. Blair and McMahon over the years than there were ever between, like, Rey Mysterio and Dominic, yeah. or Rey Mysterio and Vince McMahon. So, I, I don't know, I'm, like, very excited to see where Dominic career, uh, Dominic's career goes, and... And he's your age, he's got a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, and it's really exciting to see somebody that young being, like, given an opportunity that's this big, right. so... And your final grade for Payback? I can't even scroll. I don't even know. I, I didn't think I gave it a grade. I don't know. Like, a 2.5 out of 5, I guess. Okay. Um, my final thoughts, this was my only final thought, was that the only explanation of this pay-per-view is that Vince came up with all of this, all of these matches, while he was taking shit approximately, like, 30 minutes before this pay-per-view aired. <laughs> Because, like, we all know that he's, like, famous for, like, his the, last minute The matches were announced on Raw and SmackDown. Again, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. The, way, the, the results, the way that they played out, all decided, like, 30 minutes while he was taking a shit. Being like, ah, uh, I think we should make the ring break. That would be funny. That would be clever. <laughs> but <laughs> I love your Vince McMahon oh. voice. Kind of sounds like the penguin. <laughs> but, yeah. 
That's the, those are my final thoughts. All right. Uh, my match of the night goes to the same match as yours, the Golden Girl Models versus Shayna and Nia. That ending was awesome. It, it could have been Keith Lee and Orton if not for that ending. That ending was perfect. Um, my performer of the night goes to Roman Reigns. I <laughs> loved that ending so much. And it would, it would have been Dominic if not for... Actually, it might have been Shayna, but it, it has to go to Roman Reigns. That ending was fucking great. Um, I also just decided that I'm going to do an attire of the night, um, which goes to Biggie because I love that all that logo that he yeah. had. And I love the Rocco's Modern Life motif he had going on. So I thought that was really cool. My final grade is going to be a 3.5 out of 5. And here's why. The tag team match that I lauded, both tag team matches that I lauded were great. The Keith Lee Orton match was awesome. And that ending was just hilarious and I loved it and it could have been a lot better if the first two matches would have been a little better um and the the last match would have been better if not for the ending um but yeah I mean it's probably aside from NXT I'd say the best non-crowd pay-per-view we've gotten okay. which is surprising and that means including Wrestlemania which we'll we'll be covering soon yeah and so. see this is what, this is what I mean this is what I'm saying that like for in comparison, NXT is so perfect. NXT and NXT UK are so perfect about being perfectly concise mm-hmm. with their pay-per-views. Like have the perfect amount of matches. They all last for the perfect amount of time. And I feel it's so frustrating because I feel like the quote-unquote main roster pay-per-views almost get to that point. But like, for example, like if they would have just like not had the first two matches and it was just like the yeah, rest Biggie of the match. Like, Sheamus was okay. It was fine. I get it. You can get rid of it easily. Just yeah. get rid of the first two matches, and then you would have a very solid pay-per-view. Yeah. I feel like I would be a lot less negative if those first two matches were just left off the card. So the NXT, as opposed to like the main roster WWE pay-per-views, are usually around the same length, but you feel it so much more with the down time that the WWE pay-per-views have. Because the NXT never lets you breathe, and you're like, yeah. holy shit, that was awesome, that was awesome, that was awesome. Whereas the WWE ones, you're like... Yeah, that was fine, you know, or that was really bad, or that was good, and it's like a mixed bag, whereas the NXT ones are like, these are always fucking fire. So, no, I absolutely agree with you. And when they're the same length, it's like watching, like, Avatar versus Titanic. Both are close to the same length. I can be entertained by Titanic the whole time. Avatar, I'm like, can we fucking get on with it? (laughs) What's the chase, and how do I cut through it? So, but that's a podcast for another time. Um, We will be back next week with the NXT Portland review that we were supposed to do a couple weeks ago, but again, we had a little bit of issues technical-wise, but we will get back to that, and it's an NXT show, which is going to be great, and there's a crowd because it happened in February, so we're excited for that one. We watched it before, but we'll rewatch it. Thanks, as always. I love talking wrestling with you. I love talking wrestling in general. So for those of you who listen, we appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram at... That's gotta be... Wait, I don't even know our Instagram. It's that's gotta oh, be... God, it's just that's, that's gotta be wrestling. <laughs> it's, it's that's gotta be... It, that's gotta be wrestling is our Instagram. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you later.